hello, hello, hello out there in iDeveloper land. My name is Scotty and this is iDeveloper Live episode 63, I think. Hopefully with me still in sunny, sunny, sunny California or San Francisco is Mr. John Fox. No. I said, indeed, here I am. Good. You need to unmute yourself first. He, he, he immediately <laughs> forgot to unmute his microphone, but there we are. Okay, also with me, who you wouldn't have heard, because he was still on mute, but now just about not to be, Mr. Simon Wolf. Hello, hello. Okay, so here we are, we're all in here. And John, we've got to start with you, because you are on a brand new machine. Tell us the story. I am. So I finally went in, and uh, when I got back from, from my travels, I dutifully went to, to store.apple.com and purchased myself a brand new built-to-order working, non-crappy, non-defective MacBook Pro Retina, this time with 16 gig of RAM, and it arrived yesterday. And uh, <clears throat> uh, because I had such a bad experience last time with the, the, with the defective unit, and I had filled out these customer surveys, I told the story of it, and some uh, store manager from the San Francisco Apple Store sent email saying, you know, could I give you a call? Could we talk about it? So I did, and this is back in June, and I said, you know, and he says, what can I do to make it right? He says, well, you know, uh, when I get my new machine, maybe you'd want to give me, you know, free Apple Care or a discount on some stuff. And he goes, "Yeah, we can, we can, we can hook you up." So <clears throat> I came to the store yesterday, and, and they, they did, they did, they did right. <clears throat> they gave me the, the the cables and adapters I need, and they gave me a deep discount on the Apple Care. And uh, I have to say, thank you, Apple, for for continuing your good customer service. So it really was last time you just happened to get a, a dud machine. It wasn't that the, the whole thing was crap in the first place. You just got no. a dud machine. So how does it feel to be um, in, in the world of uh, modern development? It is a grand and glorious. And when I'm done downloading everything and, and spending the next, uh, I don't know, probably half an hour it will take for me to get everything up and running, um, I will feel very happy. But this time, thankfully, the, uh, the Thunderbolt uh, – FireWire adapters are actually available, and that makes a world of difference when transferring your data from an old machine. Because okay. last time, I- so you've not tell me, please, you've not just done copy. You've, if you've done the copy, everything over, or no. Are you, no, you, I- you're doing ma- you're doing a manually selective copy over, yeah. Yes, I'm waving hands around like very gestury here. We should really do video. Yeah. Okay, so because okay, you, you've had um, you know, Simon's dying to say something, which is why I keep talking. Um, you, <laughs> yeah, you, you've um, you. you yeah, well, you've been working on your last machine since about 1872, um, pretty much, yes. which is when you started Memory Miner version two, um, yes. as well. And so, I mean, I know that I, I've just seen your project. I mean, it's really sort of, um, let's say, a lot of years of work and links and things, frameworks that have to build. So, if you just copied everything across, done, you know, build and analyze, or just build, and the whole thing is just run. Uh, I haven't gotten that far yet because I haven't done <laughs> okay. copying stuff. So. so when you said about an hour and a half to get us to copy stuff across and then about another three weeks to get it to build. No, I don't think – I mean it's not that damn complicated. Come on, Scotty, you're being mean. It's what I'm paid for. No, I'm not paid <laughs> for it, I? do it because I do it. I do it because I love it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, – you were going to hang on for you know the second generation, but decided the old machine. You, what was it made you just decide the old machine wasn't going to cut it anymore? After just, you'd stuck I with it for so long, yeah. Well, because who knows when this next generation thing is going to come out, and is it going to be wildly better? I mean, basically, what I wanted to know was, uh, you know, were there? I haven't seen all the. I haven't seen your reports. I've seen just you know a few smatterings of people, which I can you know you. You manufacture anything, there are going to be some dud devices. But so far, so good. Everything seems to be working nicely. 
Excellent. But that, that, that's the least important news. There's far more important news. Can we talk about some other important news, like a new version of Cappuccino, which has been, been released? Yeah, I didn't spot that this week. Yeah, go for it. I mean, we've got Point some news nine. down here as well, but you, 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 you go for it, John. Point nine eight has been released, and it's yet another – I mean, you look at the release notes. People are, are still working like crazy on it. It makes me very happy. Um, so I think that's good. We'll have that in the show notes. And they have a, a new website that's up, cappuccino-project.org, which is much nicer looking than the old one. So, so why um, did they need a new website? Well, because the old one was basically – it was not community – you know, the, the big change that's happened, I mean, not to rehash everything, but, you know – when 280 North was absorbed by Motorola, everybody asked, you know, is it going to keep going? But the reality is, is that, you know, the original founders haven't been working on the project for since forever. And so the, the test of this project is to be able to see, you know, did the community pick up? And one of the things that had to happen is to, to change the website is how it's maintained so that it doesn't have to fall on a single person. And it also just, it was looking, it was nicely done, but it was looking long in the tooth. So they have a much nicer looking one now, I would say. And uh, so that's good. Yay, cappuccino. And one other little bit of news, which is worthy of the show notes, is uh, Amsterdam is spreading. You know, there are, there are Amsterdam embassies in different different cities. There's one in Milano. There's one in, in San Francisco. The San Francisco one has had two events already, and they're really nice. But uh, one of the the most uh, hardworking people in the in the Amsterdam movement is a guy named Klaus Speller. You've met him. Yeah, uh, Klaus. Yep. His, so his girlfriend is Greek, and he spent the last several weeks in Greece. And he'd said before, you know, that he wanted to help uh, help spread the, the 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 glory that is Amsterdam. And so he he did a blog post saying, "Hey, I'm going to be here. If there are any you know Greek app developers out there, let's meet up and let's see what we can do." And he had no idea whether there's going to be a response to the call, but in fact, there has been a very favorable response. And so they they are, they have their first event, which is tonight. Uh, no, sorry, the first event, which is tomorrow. And uh, I'm really excited to see it spread, and particularly given the the turmoil that the economic turmoil that's going on in Greece right now. Um, th- all, this is there's no better time, I would think, that if you are staying in Greece, uh, to spread out and, and get your connections outside of that, because uh, Greece needs uh, smart people to to help rebuild the country, but they're not going to rebuild the country if they can only stay inwardly focused on the Greek in the Greek economy. And they need to they need to get projects and, and get. Uh, get money from outside. So, John, a, a quick question for you about it. Um, presumably, these sort of satellite um, setups uh, are mirroring or trying to mirror um, what they're doing actually in Amsterdam itself, which is they are having shared workspaces and regular meetings and presentations. Exactly. Um, but what sort of interaction then is there between the different groups? So, so you were saying about the, the Greek group um, communicating with sort of the other groups in, in Amsterdam and, and San Francisco and places. Is there a formal sort of um, system that they're all following that's been devised centrally or is it just keeping in touch just in terms of spreading news between the, the groups or how does it work? First of all, that you know, there is the there is the Amsterdamers website, Amsterdam.rs, and that that is the central point. So that's that's where the you know the the biggest one. That's the clearinghouse for information that serves as the model. So anybody who wanted to start an embassy could look at that and say, okay, here's how you do it. Um, in terms of a formal exchange, that's actually something that that I'm even going to be working on a little bit. Um, because because in San Francisco, because there's such a strong uh, uh, Dutch consul general and, and trade groups that are promoting investment from American companies in, 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 in Holland and vice versa, um, 
there was an idea that, that, that we were talking about when I was there. There was the iOS dev camp, right? And so people are familiar with that. You spend a weekend and you try to build an app. And the reality is that you can build a good proof of concept and, and you're really just basically trying to, to, to make the best demo you possibly can to, to earn the right to, to then start over and build a real application. And both San Francisco and, and Holland and, and, and Amsterdam are big on, on open data. So the idea pushing forward is to trying to do a type of, of exchange. I mean, when I was in high school, I spent three weeks and lived with a French family and, 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 and a French student came and, and lived with us for three weeks. And it was, it was a, a life-changing event. And I don't see any reason why we couldn't do something similar with sending developers uh, to the different Amsterdam you know, cities and saying, hey, why don't you work on, on, on an app and build and work on a team with people from all over the world? And all the better if you can work on an app that has some redeeming social value. So if you can do something useful with, with, with municipal data, build an app and, and build an infrastructure for an app that can be maintained, I think that would be great. And I think that's really the, part of the idea with, with these Amsterdam embassies. It's not just that, that local people can have a more formal structure to, to improve their craft, but that you can get people traveling. I mean, the, I, I, I'm one of these people who just believe that you, you cannot consider yourself a well-educated person if you've not done significant travel. So I'll get off my soapbox, but um, that, that's, that's, that's where we're going with this. No, that all, all sounds good. Okay, so um, this is a, a little bit of a different show today. We're um, maybe a little bit more of a magazine style, going to chat about some concepts. Simon uh, is with us here in the studio. In fact, John, we haven't said hello to Simon properly, and I know he's been looking forward to this bit. So um, uh, the chat room will be a little bit behind because they're on a delay, but uh, everybody, we need to say hello to Simon. It just fantastic. Yeah, it, it's there. We are. It's um. If you've, nev- my week, if you've if you've never listened before, um, you may never listen again after that. Again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna have a couple of discussions today. One of them is going to be about Avtag. Simon is going to finally reveal to the world what Avtag is and um, some discussions about some stuff that's going on. And we're going to do a bit more news in a minute. But before that, let's just bring in our first sponsor. Now, I have to really apologize because I even forgot to do... Well, it wasn't I forgot. We just last week's show, it just there wasn't a convenient point. And we don't want to make the sponsors. And the sponsors themselves don't want to make you know it, themselves intrusive in the show. And I just couldn't find a place. And I wasn't butting in or whatever. So, you know... Big shout out to Rem Objects for being so cool about it all and everything. They probably didn't even notice because, you know, they're just so absorbed in the content. Um, but our, our first sponsor of the show, Rem Objects, uh, produce a product called Data Abstract. Uh, it's a framework for building database driven applications using multi tiered data access. Um, basically, it works on a whole variety of platforms. Basically, the whole point is if you have to deal with data um, of any form with multiple users accessing it, especially if it's across the web, then you need to go and have a look at um, Data Abstract from Rem Objects. Um, even if you decide it's not for you, you need to go and look at it because you just need to. Um, so Data Abstract for Xcode um, is a whole native bunch of client stuff for dealing with briefcasing models and, and remoting. Um, there's special query language, DA, uh, DA SQL or DASQL, depending on you want to pronounce it now this stuff we can't get into a 30 second ad really um so anytime that you're you know if you're looking to do this you know data access multi-user access don't forget your core data is fantastic but you can only you know it's only local um and then after that you're working with you know even if it's on your local network you know mysql or whatever i'm to deal with all that stuff go take a look at this stuff it's at uh, uh remobjects.com 
is the uh, is, is the address to go for. I think it's remobjects.com slash DA to look specifically at data abstracts. They do some other products as well. If you want to know more about um, data abstracts as well, listen to show 58 where Mark Hoffman came on and, and, and spoke all about that. Um, we want to thank remobjects for being a sponsor of the show. They make the bandwidth bills and all that sort of uh, handleable. So um, that's uh, remobjects. So uh, remobjects, remobjects, remobjects. Everybody, Everybody loves, loves remobjects. Simon didn't join in. I'll go beat I, I thought that was just for you two to do as the no, no, official host. Simon, you're just, you're, just not part, you're just not part of this community, Simon. I'm sorry. You, you, um, you have failed and let us down totally. Um, we're going to pick up a little bit more news, first of all, um, in there. Uh, now, um, just, just, just very briefly on this one. We were discussing this over coffee uh, just now, Simon, but you, you want to just mention something about the Apple management changes. Yeah, um, I just thought it was it was quite interesting and, and quite good that um, Craig Federici and Dan Riccio, Riccio um, Craig is is basically in charge of the Mac software engineering, and Dan is the vice president of hardware engineering. Um, they've both been promoters of now senior vice presidents, um, and therefore um, report directly to Tim and are on the the executive management team. Um, which is good because it kind of implies or shows that um, the Mac software side of it is as important to Apple as anything else, um, which is nice because you know a year, two years ago, people were wondering whether OS X would, would actually be killed off. Um, and obviously Dan is, is there because hardware engineering is a, a pretty crucial bit for Apple. Um, but in their, their press release about all this, they also announced that Bob Mansfield, um, who was in charge of the hardware um, and retired back in June, is actually remaining at Apple. Um, now, it doesn't say exactly what he's doing other than that he'll be working on future products um, and reporting to Tim. But it kind of sounds like maybe he's going into sort of the R&D side of things, working with, with Jonathan Ives um, on upcoming products and maybe filling... A small part of the vacuum that that Steve uh, left within the organisation. You see, I, I, I'm not very good at following this sort of stuff. Obviously, you do. Do you, do you follow it just because you're interested, or because you think it affects our business? Um, I follow it well, partly because obviously people mention it on Twitter, and, and I then go and, and see what it's about. I'm interested because I think Apple's at a, a, an important and an interesting point for the company. They're now a huge company, and they're what the biggest company in the world, or. or based on the market value the the biggest company has ever been or, or something like that but inevitably when you've got these companies and it's happened to Microsoft um, at some point things will will turn sour and things will start to decline now because I base my entire income and, and um, living on Apple I've got a vested interest in keeping an eye on what's going on I don't think they're suddenly going to plummet from the position they are to, to obscurity but it's nice to kind of see that, that Tim is making some changes and, and almost putting his own stamp on Apple now. He's, he's sort of been there and, and been running the company for a year. And in some ways, to me at least, it felt like he was just continuing what Steve had done before him. Um, and maybe with these changes, he's just starting to mould the company a bit more to, to what they need to do and the direction they now they, they now want to follow. Um, so it's good. It's just nice seeing sort of things like the Mac side of it being promoted. Um, I'm not just a pure iOS developer. I do do OS X code. So seeing that being sort of brought back up into a, um, a situation where within the company it seems to have some sort of higher status is good. It's, it's very encouraging. Um, so, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. And, and um, obviously Apple are behind OS X. They're doing good things with the, the different um, releases that, that, that have come out. And, you know, in the last, what, just over a year, we've had now two um, 
new releases of OS X. So they're obviously behind it. They're obviously pushing it. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether it just sort of continues to evolve in step with iOS and, and more cross-pollination between them or whether, um, you know, they're now building up to releasing OS 11 or whatever's going to follow on from OS 10 and, and how that will shape up. John, do you follow this stuff? Um, I don't follow. You know, I, I did see those announcements, and I, and I, I agree with what, what Mr. Wolf says. Um, you know, I don't follow it that closely. I, I think it's uh, it's an amusing sport, this Apple Kremlinology. Apple Kremlinology. I, I guess it, it, over – I mean, because we all know that Steve controlled the board with a rod of iron. I mean, it, the board were there really to um, nod through stuff. Um, it was going to be interesting to see over the next four or five years whether whether Tim Cook chooses to take the same direction, whether he's going to have a far more um, team-based approach to, to to the board, and what difference that makes to the direction of the company. Because everyone knows once you, you know, once you do things more by committee, you gain a whole bunch of strengths from people, but equally you, you, you know, progress becomes difficult sometimes. That's why we should stop running this this uh, podcast by committee, and you should rule with an iron fist. Wait, you already do. I should. So shut up, John. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah. So, right. Um, okay. I want. We're gonna have a quick discussion. Something that we we've, we've maybe done before. I think doesn't really matter. We're gonna we're gonna try again anyway. Um, this is really coming off the back of of, of several things. Really. Um, obviously, there was the Twitter announcements. Uh, John is beating the heck out of his uh, new um, keyboard because he does. Sorry, he, he wants to really make sure that it's worn in by the morning. Um, <laughs> it's um, yeah. There, there were the Twitter announcements last week, which I know different podcasts have flogged to death, and um, you know uh, I'm not actually too interested in in talking about. Um, but then there's the uh, some stuff that went on. Simon, why don't you tell us a little bit about what went on with an app that you were you were developing? What, what I want to talk about is, you know, dependencies that affect us as developers, and and you know, developing products that depend on other people. Now, obviously, a Twitter client is totally dependent on Twitter, and we can, you know, how how far you want to get into that is, you know, um, you, know you are totally dependent on them and letting you use the API. But equally, we were talking, you know, iOS apps are totally dependent on Apple letting you in and everything. You've had some experience recently with some negotiations over an iOS app. So let's start by sharing those, Simon, and we'll pick it up from there. Okay. Um, I was working on the, the SEO tutor apps for Don McAllister of um, Screencast Online, and we've got both Mac and iOS versions of it. It's basically um, a way for him to distribute his training um, videos and tutorial videos in the app stores. And a couple of months ago, um, he submitted a new um, course um, in the iOS store, and Apple turned around and reviewed it and said, sorry, this sort of content isn't allowed in the store anymore, so we're not only going to refuse this application, but we're going to pull all your other iOS applications. Now, oddly, they didn't do anything. At no point has the Mac side been discussed, and, and we're not very sure why. We're quite thankful, but we're not very sure why this just seemed to happen on the iOS side. Um, but as a result of it, we re-engineered some of the, the application. We put in a bit of functionality, um, which was basically sort of note-taking so that people, when they're watching the videos, can, can take down some notes and mark the, the points, uh, the timestamps automatically inserted in the notes. It was just something to try and take it beyond what Apple was saying was just a video player with a video inside it. Uh, that was again rejected, and then Don looked at the other applications from other people, um, similar applications, and, and realised an awful lot of them had split their content down into individual chapters. Uh, so he said to me, can we do the same thing? So we split the video files up and we made the, the player much more of the basis of you play a chapter 
and at that point you'd have to go back to the chapters list, select the next chapter, and, and that one would play out. Um, submitted it, and again it was rejected, and, and Apple did kind of what they've done in the past, and they came back and said, well, you now can't submit tutorial videos into the App Store, it's against our guidelines. Um, the problem was that the published guidelines didn't actually have that clause in it, so it was kind of Apple doing what they have done in the past, where the, the guidelines have evolved, but haven't necessarily, the, the changes haven't been communicated to the developers um, or people backing the applications. So Don appealed, um, and he did an open letter to um, Tim Cook and uh, um, I can't remember who the other person he was he did it to, but he did an open letter, um, emailed various people within Apple. Um, the application rejection was appealed. They came back and said, no, definitely not. We're still keeping your stuff out. Um, and then 24 hours later, fortunately, word came down that the whole thing had been reviewed again and actually they were going to let it back in. But for a period of about two months, Don's apps had been pulled. There was seemingly nothing he could do about it and he was entirely um, vulnerable and, and at the whim of, of whatever Apple chose to do. Now, for him, it, this wasn't sort of the end of the world. He's got um, a revenue stream from the subscription plan that most of his, his, um, his users and, and, and customers use, which is... They pay for a six-month subscription. They can access all of his, his uh, tutorial videos. But having stuff in the App Store um, was good because it kind of let people focus on specific areas. So, for example, he released introductions to Mountain Lion and Lion um, and introduction to iPad. So people who didn't want to pay for a full subscription could go and get these applications. So it was kind of harming Apple's customers in a way. It was harming people who wanted to buy his stuff and learn how to use their new Apple kit. Um, and obviously it was harming him to a degree because it was a, a loss of income, but it it kind of reinforced this whole thing. I know the, these issues have been discussed sort of ad nauseum with developers when they've had things pulled from the store and, and Apple have refused to let things through, that as developers we are very, very vulnerable and susceptible to whatever Apple decide to do. Um, on the Mac side less so because obviously you can take your application if it's rejected and you can just release it yourself and you can you can sell it directly to people. Um, but on the iOS side, we don't have that option at all. Um, you're entirely at the whim of Apple, and as has happened before, Don, Don certainly wasn't the first case of this, even applications that have been on sale for months and, and have been approved and have been updated, and those updates have been approved, suddenly Apple can, for some reason, and, and it's not clear why, just decide that they're not going to let that application in anymore and they're going to pull similar applications um, and it kind of ties in slightly with the Twitter stuff because you've obviously got all these app makers who've developed Twitter clients who, as is becoming more and more apparent, are relying on almost the goodwill of Twitter. I mean, Twitter have, have now introduced or, or started talking about these um, these caps, um, these tokens, where they're saying that each uh, application has a token and as soon as a, a developer's hit a number of, of tokens distributed, then Twitter will have to review to see whether they will let any more um, um, tokens be used for that application. Um, and it's this whole sort of ethos, and, and it's, it's slightly worrying from a developer point of view that we're becoming, in a, in a lot of cases, very, very reliant on companies um, and businesses and, and sort of providers of information that we have no control over. And... Um, I don't think there's any easy solution to this. I don't think we're going to go back um, or rushing back to a world where everything is open and free. I mean, Android versus iOS is, is sort of a perpetual debate about the benefits of the Android stores versus the Apple store. Um, but it's very difficult if you as a developer want to release something or develop something that's relying on a third-party service or is sold through a third-party store. 
you're facing a huge, huge risk that suddenly, with really no notice at all, the whole rug can be pulled from under you and you, you lose your income. You lose everything, basically, and potentially your business. What I find interesting about this, I mean, obviously, the Twitter people, they are 100% dependent on um, you know, a service to be at. And unless you're running, well, even if you were running an app that used to link multiple social networks, that's one of the things that you're now not allowed to do. Um, but equally, yeah, there is this whole dependency on, on, on the Apple Store. And I know you said on the Mac it doesn't really count yet, but unless you're in the App Store, there are certain APIs you can't use. What we were saying, it's the GameKit API, the iCloud API. So we can only assume that going forward into 10.9, 10.10, 10.11, or OS 11, wherever we go from there, you know, that there are going to become more and more APIs that aren't available. And, you know, so it, it, it's more about, you know, we cannot be removed from these dependencies. Uh, what worries me is that I remember, I remember when, um, was it Leopard came out? Yeah, I think it was Leopard came out. And obviously, you know, there was this whole core animation sort of uh, overflow that it, we were just seeing core animation everywhere and it, and it was horrendous. I mean, it was horrible, but just looking back at that period now, it was only go through, only by going through those excesses that we began to, as a community, find the balance and find the right places and, and, um, come up with what was good about this stuff and not good about this stuff, uh, through those, ex- through experimentation. And, and my worry is the more and more we become dependent on other people liking what we do, we're going to lose the opportunity for those, maybe those excesses and therefore won't discover things about them that we need to, that will only come through being excess. Am I making any sense here? Um, you're saying no, Simon, aren't you? Yeah, I, I think basically everybody's going to play it safe in order to not be rejected or to not lose that, that service's um, approval or whatever else, which means that the people who really go out on a limb and an edge through which we discover things good and bad about what we should and shouldn't do it's going to be everything's going to become incredibly dull that's my argument my point we're not going to see huge innovation simply because it's just not worth the risk of being rejected I th- well i think we'll we'll see innovation where it where it fits into models that are laid out by other other organizations um i think the biggest worry is that as developers and it, it does impact on our customers we are reliant on um, for example Twitter um, you know a, a developer is entirely reliant on um, Twitter not suddenly pulling the rug from under them and Twitter as a company or an organization have really got no interest or sympathy for a single developer who's sitting in his office writing a client and may have 50,000 customers you know that it, it's so small and insignificant to them and in the same way Apple you know developers in the app store um, because we've had um, or there've been discussions in the past about you know let's all boycott the App Store, let's do this, let's do that. Apple really don't care. They're so big that a few developers having a, a bit of a hissy fit and walking out isn't going to make any difference to them. What it kind of needs, I think, is for something like Twitter is maybe there should be a paid program for developers. If you want to develop and release a Twitter client, you pay to buy a chunk of tokens for your application. Um, and then at least there's some obligation, there's some contract um, explicit or implied between you and Twitter. And in the same way, you know, Apple used to charge quite a lot of money for some of their developer programs, and now it's $100 and anybody can get in and anyone can submit any old application and Apple can pull stuff or reject stuff as they want. 
if they said, okay, you can pay a premium and we will have a bit more accountability to you. If we're going to pull your app, we'll explain why we've pulled it and we will actually discuss with you what you could do to get it back into the store rather than their usual thing of, well, we've pulled it and we're not going to tell you really why and we're certainly not going to discuss with you what you could do to fix it. Let people or give people the opportunity to you know, pay a premium or enter into more of a, a business relationship with you and make the whole discussion and, and arrangement much more two-way. So you're saying there should be two tiers, as in there's the current level where anybody can produce any old crap and you get the service you get now. Um, or are you saying actually the, the barrier to entry for a developer should be a lot higher in order that Apple can spend more time working with you as a developer rather than just trying to keep up with the... I, I think... Um, there is a website run by Dave Verwer, and I can't remember the URL off the top of my head, which tells you what the average, you, you could go post how long your app was in review for, or waiting for review, and it works out the average. And I got a feeling the other day it was about 18 days was yeah, now the average. Right I mean, now, I, I don't think that we should putting a, a barrier of entry in there, because you know there have been some fantastic applications by people who are new developers or school kids or... or don't necessarily have or, or want to pay a lot of money for membership of these sorts of programs but similarly you know the, there are the hobby programmers and then there are the senior not senior sorry the, the more experienced more professional companies who um, base their entire business and you know tens of employees in some cases their, their whole income and, and lifestyle and everything else is based on being able to work and, and sell products through the app store so kind of have a, a like a pro-level membership where there is more dialogue and there is a bit more accountability from Apple and maybe have things like um, expedited reviews um, or more expedited reviews so that if you've got a bug release, you can get it through. And it's almost as if Apple need, and, and Twitter and, and other organisations like this, need sort of a pro-level where the developers are taken a bit more seriously because at times we're kind of treated like parasites by these companies that we are making a living off them and off the things that they do and the things they provide and we're kind of treated with contempt by them and actually in some cases people are doing really really amazing stuff that's helping promote their platforms um, and it needs to be a, a more more equal relationship I think and if we've got to pay for it as developers because if you're if you're say producing a good Twitter client you're earning a, a reasonable income off it um, Make people pay for it, make developers pay for it, or give them the option to pay for it, and then make the relationship more equal and make it fairer and don't suddenly pull the rug from under people and don't suddenly start introducing unfair rules. John, do you have an opinion on that? I, I think that you, we have to... I, I agree that in, in an ideal world these types of things would happen. I think that I, I'm not very um, hopeful that things are going to change wildly because I, I think... You know, there's a lot of unreality, a lot of unrealistic expectations started with these things. You know, Apple's interest is in selling hardware. So on the one hand, you know, they, they need lots of apps, they need lots of developers to be able to say, here, there's lots of stuff here. But on the other hand, they have so many and there's so much high-quality stuff out there that, you know, Apple could, could piss off a lot of third-party developers and they would still sell lots of machines. And similarly with Twitter, you know, they they have such a uh, such momentum, so many users out there that that it's it's very easy to to believe that the the concerns of of the geek community in which we find ourselves uh, register much on, on the on the the radar of, of of Twitter or Facebook or you know social network X Y and Z. I think in the end. It, it, the only thing that that clarifies and cuts through some of this stuff is money, and and hopefully you know with phenomena like AppNet, 
and and enough customers getting to understand that there is a difference between being a you know a, a, an actual client of a customer and being the product, maybe things will change a little bit. But I'm not entirely hopeful of that. I mean, I think this is an interesting one, especially with the App Store itself, because it's you know we have. I think Apple are not naive to the fact that the reason the iPhone and the iPod Touch are so successful and the iPad is because of the app culture that goes with it. The flexibility that it's not just a device that does what it does the day you buy it. You can make it do what you need it to do by buying the appropriate software. So there is a dependence on there, but equally maintaining that experience and all the other stuff they go on about. I mean, they they have themselves maybe a conflict of interest sometimes in in, in the stuff they're doing. Um yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we're never going to... Apple will always do what they want to do. We we can't solve that. Uh, you know, we can discuss these suggestions. I mean, maybe some of the other... John, is, is, is Memory Miner dependent on any external services that if they sort of just suddenly change the rules, you, you'd have problems? Well, I mean, it, it was... You know, it, it's funny. I was just seeing what the experience of, of, of installing it and running it for first time on Mountain Lion. So it, it, its biggest problem right now is, is since Mobile Me went away, there's not an easy way to publish something, you know, because you have have to now use FTP and that's you know it's just too geeky so that's now on me where I have to say okay well it's time I suppose to, to either kind of switch to a new one like Dropbox and that was my plan but Dropbox you know had this notion of, of a public folder into which you could put HTML and related files and then they backed off of it and they said well if you if you're an existing customer and you have it you can use it but new Dropbox uh, box accounts won't have it because they didn't want to be in the business of, of being arbitrary website hosters for free and so now I'm at the point where I have to say, okay, what do I do? Do I make a memory miner hosting service and, and just take advantage of the fact that I can I can create that out of S3 reasonably, you know, inexpensively, or or what? So that that's that's probably the biggest dependency right now. Other than that, you know, the dependencies are are not so much that that without it the app doesn't work, but it changes what you know the, how people might use it. So, for instance, it has great Flickr support, and Flickr happily is, is is not only still going along, but it seems like Yahoo is putting some more investment into it, which is great. And maybe Flickr will will, will come back stronger. So it's it's a it, it it doesn't have a single point of failure like a, a like a Twitter client would. I think it's interesting because some of the reasons some of these things become problems is like with Twitter. You know, Twitter has become so big that everybody says, yeah, yeah, the app must be able to post to Twitter. Yeah, and Facebook's in probably the same place. But when it comes to you know, photo sharing sites, for example, now, you know, it used to be fairly clear it was Flickr, but now you've got Flickr and SmugMug and 500 Pixels and you know, mm-hmm. a, a whole bunch of them that are sort of vying. And, and some of them are excellent, but not got the number of users. And you've got Flickr, which is still very popular, but... Let's face it, compared to the progress of the others, is fairly crap until they work on it <laughs> some more. Um, you know, so, so it's, we have these advantages sometimes that we gain from the fact that there are these dominant services, but equally that puts us in a position of, you know, we, cause we don't have to, you know, you, you, we don't, I doubt many applications are going to do post to app.net, uh, features within them outside of geeky applications within the next 12, 18 months. Not, not where there's 10,000 people on there. Um, whereas almost every application in the world has a post to Twitter button, regardless of what it is, um, or post to Facebook button. Uh, you know, but with the photo stuff, you know, the, you know, do you really want to write the 27 posting to photo sites to cover everything your users want? Or, or does a real dominant service do you, 
do what you want to do. But then you're you're stuck with their rules and conditions. It's it's there's no good answer for us as the sort of middleman implementing stuff, really, is there? No, there isn't. And 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 this is the funny thing is I've seen a number of people complain saying that when they pulled mobile me and they pulled the ability to to have people host HTML data. You know, a bunch of applications. I mean, look at Delicious Library as an example. A lot of people wanted to share their their libraries, and and the implementation they did was really nice. It was great. You know, but it just basically assured that one of the benefits of being an Apple customer is you had this little space where you could you could put up a website, and <clears throat> that disappeared. Apple has now basically enabled it for their own apps. So there is the you know the, the iPhoto Journal, and I, I, I've complained about this before. You know, it's 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 pissing against the tide to complain about it, but it is reality. Is that you know if you're Apple, you can have your 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 iPhoto, you know, take advantage of the storage space that 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 comes with with iCloud. But as a third party developer, I can't, and and that sucks. I mean, that was part of the whole you know the the joy of of being an Apple developer is knowing that you have these consistent set of services that are available to every user by their birthright of being an Apple customer, except for you can't access it if you're not Apple. Okay, so may- maybe the way we have to view the world is changing in the fact that in the past, you know, whenever, when did you start Memory Miner, John? I, start, I, I started programming it in the beginning of 2005 and I first shipped it in 2006. Okay, so I mean, that's a, a, an app with reasonable pedigree these days. I mean, you know, seven, eight years old, um, that's, you know, that, that's quite old. I know there's older apps, but you know, that's been yeah. around a while. You know, and when you started writing Memory Miner, I, the approach that you've taken was definitely and obviously the right choice. But yeah, maybe if we were sat here today thinking, um, you know, the, the world we got to live in is if if as you sat down now and you were thinking about this idea, it's actually I have to provide Memory Miner as an online service, and then okay, yeah, I happen to need an app in order to work with that, yeah. um, uh, as opposed to you know putting nothing together. So maybe you know the future of applications is it's not apps is um, you know rental and whatever necessarily, but it is you know. It's it's web-based services with clients, and, and yeah. our job as developers is to come up with the new web-based services, not just write clients for other people's. Well, you know, here's something funny. You know, the, uh, you know, Matt Gemmel released an app, and he had a, an excellent blog post of the pros and cons of, of doing it on yourself, on your own, or, or using the Mac App Store. And one of the things he talked about, saying, you know, here are the things as the app developer I want to focus on: the the architectural design, the user experience, the coding. I don't want to worry about taking money about about licensing. I don't want to worry about hosting stuff. And he laid out all the kind of concerns he had. And he says, no, in fact, they're not concerns because there are services. There's licensing services. You know, the band with requirements for hosting your own app is is virtually nothing, right? He says, you know, your S3 bill for for an unbelievably successful app is in the dollars per month. And and it's true. So you're absolutely right. You know, if, if you were building an app today, it needs to be network centric. And there's really at this point, there's no service I can think of that does not exist very, very comfortably and very easily. Um, and it's all essentially it's all built on Amazon's infrastructure. So yes, you know that's the next big uh, you know dependency you have. But I think Amazon has has proven pretty conclusively that they don't really care what people do with their their storage and computing infrastructure out there, and they keep expanding it. And yeah, you know there have been famous out outages that have been out there, but it's kind of like saying 
you know, are you tarnished as a, as a, as a business if your business is, is shut because there's a blackout and every business on the block and half the city is out? Not really. So, I mean, did, did anybody say, oh, my God, I'm never going to use Netflix again because there was an outage for a period of time? No, because at some point people complain. They ask what happened. They say, oh, OK, this bit of, 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 of human infrastructure, which is how I view something like Amazon S3 or, or, or the Internet in general. So. Yeah. But then, but then people were saying it last week when Dropbox had um, a couple of days of, of issues in their forums. Right. There yeah. were plenty of people in there saying, "That's it. I'm, I'm never using Dropbox again." I mean, uh, sod's law is that they they yeah. stayed with Dropbox, but people do do you know they have a knee jerk reaction to it. And I think part of the problem with, is that um, yes, if you're running a business and there's a, a power cut in your block or your city, um, it affects the people there and the people can see it. But when you're working in a, a global worldwide marketplace um, people in one part of the internet who aren't necessarily affected don't necessarily understand what's going on and, and have sympathies for it um, go on yeah, and no, I mean, in the end, yes, you know, you're the one who's responsible for it, but I think that generally speaking you know, the alternative is what? You know, the alternative is to you to try and mount your own data center, or, or it's not just not possible. I mean, if you oh, want yeah, to, no, definitely not have these dependencies, and, and your job is to try and navigate them as 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 well as possible. I would say the the, the you know you have to decide on on what is the most important thing for you, and and you know one of the things that's much discussed about about having your own store versus being on the app store is having a connection with customers, and and that you know. An advantage for having shipped an app for a long time is that hopefully you've built up goodwill amongst your customers, and that's something that you have when you are able to take care of issues and answer questions and, and respond to, you know, critique and whatnot. And and that's you know my experience with the app stores that I, I much prefer selling directly, and I've had much better experience with doing it. Um, and, you know, I'll still play on the app store, but it, it's it's a very different experience for me versus somebody who's getting started. Yeah. Sure. Uh, you, you mentioned this website that talks about you know the average wait time. I think that there are other websites that are out there that try and calculate what the what the average return for an app developer out there, and it's it's eye opening. You know, and that that everybody has this idea that there there are lots and lots and lots of developers that are making a great living on this. The reality is no. There's a very very small number of developers who are doing very well. A small number of people who are doing okay, and the rest of ones are are basically getting a hobby like return on investment. I think that over the next five years, the whole world of development is going to change. I mean, it's changed already in the last five years. But again, yeah, I can't I can't imagine my my grandkids or my probably my kids later on in life actually you know coming back from you know a day out with their digital camera or whatever the device is there and wanting to upload it to their computer they're just going to want to plug it in and have it uploaded to their online central data store of life or whatever it is um or all these things and i think you know the the days of you know there's always going to be a need for utilities there's always going to be a need for sort of that little app that does the one job and the whatever else and um, and I and I guess that's maybe where the indie developer market has to keep focusing. I think the days of uh, the indies being able to develop a a a, a bigger app. Yeah, you know, I would say your days of being able to maybe develop something like a memory miner are limited. I don't mean in the next two or three years, but I mean very very long term because that's now far a bigger scale. Where you know if you're going to set out on that sort of project, you are going to need to get an infrastructure. You are going to need to get web end, web developers and produce web services and 
yeah, I'm not saying that has to be a huge company, but it's probably more than one person type of stuff. And, and, you know, we're moving away from maybe the, this sort of more generic life stuff being the one man developer's job and more into, you know, um, you know, bigger companies have got to take this stuff on because of the infrastructure stuff. Right. Well, here's, here's one last thing on this thing. You know, there was, there's been an interesting article and a lot of discussion about, uh, the phenomena of, of, uh, acquires. You know what I'm talking about? ACQI dash H-I-R-E-S, where when a company says they're acquiring a company, but in reality, they're just using that as a way to get a bunch of employees. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the, the things that fell out of that discussion is this idea that just because it's so easy to go out and start your own company doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best thing for you to do, right? And that, that maybe what, what it is is that there are too many people chasing too few truly quality ideas and, and just there, it's scattershot. And maybe, maybe the pendulum will swing back a little bit in the end. There will be, you know, you'll be forced to, forced is a bad word, but you know, you gently pushed into, Getting together with with more people or or joining more established ventures rather than just saying, "Hey, I can go out and do everything myself," because you can't. Right? It's very very rare that you can. I, I think we're slowly becoming mini apples, um, not the fruit kind, the the big American company kind. In that, their whole ethos and, and success has been built on controlling the end to end process, and I think that's where we as developers will be going. And I think five years ago, where um, you could sit and you could write and release your own application quite happily. And now where you sit and you write the code, but you probably have a designer to work with you. And so you become a two-man organization. I think very soon we're going to go to three-man organizations where you also have a web developer in there to build your web infrastructure and your web database and your web services. And I think the onus will be on the developer to build everything end-to-end. So if you want to do photo sharing for memory miner um, or something like that, you will have your own photo hosting service and i i've got a feeling that's where it's going to to end up going yeah i i i, I think the the small company startup company of this stuff i i'm will become bigger i'd say probably as high as five people there'll be sort of templates and in and, and whatever going for technology simply because you know it's it's more global it's, it's what we're trying to do with our apps yeah, there was an interesting discussion. Um, I can't remember which podcast it was the other day. That you know, the expectation upon computers in our lives is growing every day. You know, um, you know, someone in the, in the nineteen eighties who bought their first Mac, you know, uh, uh, you know when it was released, um, would not have sat down and you know had the expectations that you know a a ten year old kid getting their first Mac now will do. Yeah, you know, they'll just you know we expect to be able to almost run our lives from from this sort of sub $1000 machine that we we buy um as opposed to being a hobby on the side or something that's of interest to us um and therefore as the expectations grow the delivery that we're we're providing has to grow um you know a lot of a lot of our living has been made as indie developers about writing the tools to make computers easier to do the stuff that people want them to do but you know as what people want them to do changes that market's going to change as well Indeed. Now, should we be talking about what was the name of that app that was for uh, annotating video? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do that in a minute, John. Because I want I want to do our second sponsor first of all, but then then we, then we will do that. So we're just going to let Simon uh, warm up his vocal muscles and and do some exercise. Oh, not that exercise, please, Simon. That's inappropriate. Okay, right. Um, <laughs> invasive code, another one of our great sponsors. Ah, uh, intensive iPhone and iPad development. It's a five day class. 
more than 40 hours, uh, providing you with deep and quick understanding of the iPhone iPad SDK. It, it goes from basic through to advanced stuff, and um, they say at the end you'll be able to develop iPhone iPad apps easily or with no difficulties. <laughs> Can you develop with no difficulties, Simon? He's reading his notes. Can you develop with no difficulties, John? It's yes. Not, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. You will be a lot better equipped than you were before. I don't want to do false advertising here. Um, okay, we, we love these guys. Jeppy's in the chat room right now. Hi, Jeppy. How are you doing? Um, the price of the training includes uh, the lectures, which is seven hours a day. It's not sort of half days there. And, and they do a couple of hours of labs as well. So basically, I, I think the labs are at the end of the day. You can just go back after maybe getting some dinner and, and, and you know, just work on the stuff you've been doing during the day and, and structure there and help you out. And that carries on for the five days. You get the training material, uh, the exercises, a copy of the slides that you've used during the class, breakfast and lunch, coffee. Um, and, 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 you know, what the great thing is, is there will guarantee there will never be more than 10 people, uh, on this course. So you've got good access to the instructor. And, and let's face it, if you're going on a training course, what you are paying for is access to an instructor because everything they're going to teach you is out there on the internet. You know, every, every, you know, it's, it's the way the instructor can deliver that to you, help you make sure you understand it personally, as opposed to reading the same paragraph in the book you've bought 20 times and it not making sense. You know, so to me, to turn up on a training course where you can't get access to the, the instructor because there's so many people, I'm going to be blood. You've wasted your money, in my opinion. That, that's only my opinion. Lots of people will disagree with me. Um, so to me, that is, you know, the reason I was prepared to let these guys sponsor the show is, 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 initially when we were back uh when i didn't really know who they were was they had that in their training material in their training um uh requirements that we no more than 10 people okay to do on this course you need a uh required to have a short experience with some sort of object oriented language they can't or, or programming of some sort they can't teach you everything in that time okay so two courses coming up september 17th in barcelona in spain um, and October 1st in San Francisco, which is in California in the USA, in case you didn't know, John. Um, and it's, uh, 2,800 euros or $2,900, depending on which one of those you go on. But if when inquiring, you send an email saying everybody loves invasive code, you can get $200 or 200 euros off. How is that for a bargain? So invasive code, training.invasivecode.com. It'll be in the show notes. Go check them out. Thank you for sponsoring the show. We love you guys very much. Big sloppy wet kisses your way right now. <laughs> uh, Sheppy's running from the chat room very quickly. Um, okay. He's going to get a handy wipe. <laughs> right, okay. Um, we've been having these things called the Avtag um, Diaries now. As you said last week, a diary suggests something regular and... Mr. Wolf has not been regular. Well, not with the Avtag Diaries, anyway. Um, so, no, but he's been building up to this big live performance, and today he's going to reveal what Avtag actually is. So I'm going to hand over to Simon uh, to just explain to us. Simon, tell us all about Avtag. It would be a pleasure. Um, I'll start with some background, because it's probably the easiest way to uh, explain it and what it does. Um, and I'm also going to put this into the context of where listeners to this podcast would, would possibly use an application like this, although it's not a developer tool specifically. Um, the idea for, for Avtag came from the fact that each year um, these days we get around 100 videos from Apple after WWDC. Um, and then there are all sorts of things like podcasts and, and training videos that, that people like Scotty put out. Um, and all sorts of video and audio information 
that we collect and um, as developers, for example, we use them to learn from. Um, and the problem I have, and I'm guessing other people have, I hope other people have, is that when you get all these videos um, or you get all these podcasts or, or similar audio files like that, you need to find things. You'll, you'll watch or you'll listen to something and you'll think, oh, that's quite interesting. And, you know, you try and mentally file it away or you're, you're skimming through trying to find bits of information. And when you're faced with, um, for example, 100 videos from WWDC, you, in theory, will have to sit down and watch all of them to get the most information out. But actually, in reality, you probably wait until you need something um, relating to a particular topic. You go and find the video relating to it, and then you watch it. Um, and I find this incredibly difficult to do. Um, a few people recently tweeted the idea that, for the WWDC videos at least, um, they go and they download the keynote slides, and then they can actually do a search through those looking for specific words. Um, and that's kind of where AvTag's coming from, um, because what I wanted to do and what AvTag does is it allows you to add tags to video and audio files. So, for example, I can be watching a WWDC video and I get to an interesting bit or see an interesting slide and I can press a button and I've got the uh, point in that video tagged. And if I want to, I can add a title to it or I can add some extra notes to it. And doing that, I can go through video and audio files and podcasts, anything else, and I can create, they're, they're effectively my own custom bookmarks in them um, so that I can go back and find things. But to make it actually useful, the next stage on top of that is you want to be able to search. So obviously because you're entering text titles and text descriptions, you can do a keyword search. Um, but then because you don't necessarily know which files things are in, you need to have them in a, a central library. And when you do a search, you need to search across all of the videos and all of the audio files that you've tagged. Um, and that's fundamentally what AvTag is. It's a way of finding content within videos and audio files very quickly and very easily through a simple text search. Now, obviously, it's relying on uh, you as the user going through and tagging stuff. However, um, I'm also building in the functionality that content providers such as Scotty um, can distribute AvTag data files themselves. So, for example, you could download an entire back history, um, as well as any current um, iDeveloper live episode tag files, and you import those into your AvTag application, and then when you search, it will say, okay, we found information about this, for example, in these podcasts, and if you haven't got those podcasts yet, you can go and download them, and you've got the time code of where that point is. So in the AvTag player, which is all part of the, the application, you tap um, on the search results, and it will load that video or audio file, and it will take you straight to that point. So it allows you very, very rapidly to, to find information like that. And similarly, um, because I have no expectations that Apple or a lot of other people will tag files for people, if you've been through and tagged, say, a WWDC video, you can export that and you can then share that with other people. Um, and the way it also works is we've got this um, situation where on your iPad, for example, because I'm starting with the iPad version, you've got all this media content. So you've got stuff in the videos application, you've got stuff in the music application. There's things in iTunes U, you might have videos in the photos application. You can also have local documents in the AvTag um, documents folder. So the idea is <clears throat> that you have all of this information or all of these items um, displayed to you and you don't have to do anything special. You can just immediately start playing one of these files and then you can start tagging it. So it's very, very simple. Um, to most users, it will just appear as a, a sort of a separate specialist player. Um, 
that you can just add these tags to and then and then annotate the tags. So that's the that's the core functionality that's going into version one. Um, I'm nearly there with the the development of it. Um, I'm just about ready for for some alpha testing. Um, beta testing is probably a few weeks off still. Um, so the first thing is, if any of you guys want to help test it, get in touch. And obviously, at the end of the the show, we'll go through all the usual stuff, and, and you can have my information about how to contact me. Um, I'm kind of hoping, because although I came at this from a, a point of view of a developer and this is how I initially want to use it, having talked to other people about the idea, um, there, are, there are whole other areas where it's, it can be used. For example, education is, is a big one, but I, I've spoken to people who shoot a lot of video on their iPhones and they've said, actually, I've got hours of footage and it'd be really nice just to be able to go through and say, wow, there's great Uncle Bert and there's great Aunt Ethel and I can tag those points. And they don't have to edit any of the video. They can keep the hours of video just sitting on their computer. But through AvTag, they'll have the ability to just jump straight to those points in those videos very, very easily. Um, so that's that's the fundamental idea. I've got big plans for post-version 1, which I'm not going to discuss yet. Um, I'll, I'll do Apple style. We don't discuss future developments thing. Um, one thing I did want to do, because I was discussing it with Scotty before the show, is... Um, bounce an idea off John or get an idea from John um, or anyone in the chat room which is because obviously I want to be able to share data from AvTag and allow people to import and export data um, I'm going to develop a common open file format because also if other people like this idea you know somebody may well decide that they want to develop their own version of it or their own variation of the idea um, it would be good for the end users and it would be good for the content providers if everybody use the same data file um, and we sort of keep it as a, a fairly open standard um, so that if, for example, Scotty is tagging his podcast and somebody else comes along and, and develops their Avtag-alike application, people can still import those files and he doesn't have to, to keep duplicating any of this effort. So what we were discussing um, is whether something like XML or JSON is the best format for doing that. And I, I don't know, John, you do imports and exports from, from memory miner, don't you? So I do. I, I do, and, and, and I had this very exact problem in that you know, memory miner does all this annotation, all the data is stored in a database, but it needs to communicate with the other world, with the outside world. So I chose RSS because it absolutely made the most sense, and oddly enough, RSS seems to be making a comeback. Although it, it's like the the who going out on their final you know goodbye tour. Um, but one of the things that was nice about RSS specifically had you know uh, namespaces, so that you could have in a basic RSS feed. You know things that that to be, you know, considered conforming RSS, you have to have, but that you could optionally put in um, other little bits of data, which a, a a knowledgeable reader software could do something with. So, for instance, you know, there there is Yahoo has a has a media namespace, and there's the Geo RSS, which is for adding geocodes to items in an RSS feed. Um, so, I used all the all the namespaces that already existed. And then for where there wasn't one, I created my own. I created an annotation namespace, um, which was was very easy to, to to kind of come up with. Um, and I, I would I would recommend doing the same thing. You know, I, I did share with you some time ago how I did it. I'll, I'm happy to to talk about it more yeah. in terms of file format. Uh, I would say JSON. I mean, I think JSON is so much easier, um, and it's gotten such traction. And now, especially that it's been built in at, at a at a framework level in in, in Apple's uh, SDKs. I, I, I don't know on 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 Windows. I would have to believe it is as well. Um, it's just it, it's just a very very simple way of, of of making the data. And then then you kind of it, 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 if if 
there is a service out there that says, here's some media and here's some valuable annotation data available. It's in JSON f- format. It's the easiest way for people to go out there and do some type of web mashup for it. You know, it, it seems like a no-brainer. Um, the other thing that you might want to consider is, is there are embedded data formats. I'm a big fan of Adobe XMP, which allows you to put metadata embedded in the files itself. Um, the, it, the Adobe XMP format is is complicated XML. It's, it's uh, uh, I'm spacing on the name, but it's a, a semantic uh, markup format. And if it was if it was earlier in the morning or rather later in the morning, I'd had coffee. I'd have that name on the tip of my tongue, but I don't. But uh, anyway. Yes, cool. Okay, that's good. Thank, thank you for that. Um, just something else that, that Scotty wanted me to, to mention, which we discussed earlier, is he was asking me whether um, AvTag is going to be um, for iOS six only, or whether it's going to um, still support iOS five um, all the way through the development and, and up until today, um, and actually beyond today, it's still supporting iOS five. Um, however. Because an awful lot of the stuff that AvTag is doing is done in background threads, um, I'm actually deliberately going to go to iOS 6 to cut out all the original iPads um, because they really have horrible performance for this sort of stuff. So hopefully not shooting myself in the foot too much, but I'm going to guess that the sort of tech-savvy people who are likely to be the the initial um, people to try this application will have an iPad 2 or an iPad 3 or if we get an iPad mini, whatever else is coming, um, they will be far enough along that they can try it on a, a modern device. And of course, the other stumbling block I've got at the moment and, and a reason for keeping it on iOS 5 is that the designer I'm working with doesn't actually have an iOS 6 iPad yet because he hasn't got access to the developer seeds. It's a, an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, I, I'm sure a lot of people out there will be sort of resistant to go for iOS 6 only uh, based um, iPad applications simply because of the uh, you know, the fact that the iPad ones come out, but yeah, let's uh, will fall out of off the um, the scope. But you know, you're right. Anything that is multi-threaded, anything that uses background threads, it is an absolute dog on the um, iPad one, and virtually all good practice these days, and all the new frameworks uh, say you should do things multi-threaded. So you know. By insisting maybe on supporting the iPad one, you know, are you going to, for people doing that, but you wanting to use the modern way of doing things, are you just producing something that's going to be crap and therefore, you know, cutting yourself off? So I think this is going to be an interesting one to see what happens. I'm going to be interested to see, uh, you know, between sort of September and the end of the year, which is, we're guessing, you know, will be the first three months or so of, of, of iOS 6. Um, you know how many apps make that choice to go iOS six only, but you know, possibly for the reasons you've just said, Simon. Yeah, no, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where applications as they, as they get more technically advanced, and obviously this is one of the reasons why Apple have said um, iOS six isn't going to be backwards compatible with the early hardware. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how applications sort of evolve as well as as the hardware gets more powerful. Obviously, people lose. Um, the full sort of backwards compatibility with the older devices, but then the uptake of, of, of things like the iPads is so rapid and so vast that, yes, you are, are losing some customers, but the benefits of being able to get the most out of performance um, and the latest features in the operating systems probably makes it worthwhile. I, sorry, John, after you. Uh, so I, I wanted to, to echo what Uli said in, in the in the 
you know, chat room asking, is it all manual? Um, and I think here, here's a little bit of advice that, that is hard won from my point. Um, you know, you're talking about asking people to put effort to annotate something, and so you have to give them the benefit of of why viewing, why having annotation, you know, makes viewing any type of media better. Yep. So it's it's on you. And one thing I can suggest is is Mechanical Turk. I mean, you know, everybody, this service has been around for a long time, and I'm amazed that more people don't use it. There are plenty of people out the world who have a computer and and uh, who could do this markup for you. And, and my suggestion is that that whatever examples you put up on your website, it becomes so clear and so great about why viewing it without AvTag would be doing yourself a great disservice. It just has to be really great. And so, um, you know, if you have to choose between having depth and breadth, you, you may want to go with 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 depth to begin with. But you may want to at least pick up a, duff, a, a critical mass of different types of content. You know, between the, as you said, the kind of the technical type of, of materials that you see at conferences or as follow on to going to conferences or the lighthearted ones, you know, this, 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 this art and science of video annotation has actually been around for a good long while. Um, the, the earliest example I remember seeing of it was way, way back uh, during the Clinton impeachment trial. And, and there was a, uh, a company called Virage, which had a, a software called the Video Logger, which allowed people to both automatically and manually add metadata to videos. And so they took the entire testimony of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky and put it on there. And they did speech to text um, to be able to, to get at that and then it allowed people to search for it. So instead of having to laboriously look through hours and hours of testimony, you could search search for what you wanted to. Now, oddly enough, uh, or predictably enough, the number one search term for those who remember this whole thing was CIGAR, C-I-G-A-R. <laughs> but but, but um, the number two and very, very close second was CIGAR spelled S-E-E-G-A-R, which told you everything you need to know about, about American society. <laughs> <laughs> but but it is a very ser- very serious yeah. thing is that you know choose a, a, a great piece of content and 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 mark it up and make it look really great and then people will immediately say oh wow that's really cool yeah no that, that that's uh, definitely good advice and and one of the areas I want to focus on as well as using a, a service like Mechanical Turk is encouraging content providers and content producers to start annotating stuff themselves. Um, and as you say, this technology has been around for a while. It's been around in pro broadcast, particularly for a long, long time. But um, an awful lot of it is terribly expensive. And while they're still a step ahead of anything probably that's going to happen in the consumer market because they will fund research into um, text-to-speech and face recognition, things like that, which is possibly to do it to a, a really high level beyond consumer applications, um, sort of the technologies are filtering down. Um, but the other other issue where um, I'm being being slightly conservative and trying to be careful is that if every word from something like a WWDC um, presentation is is transcribed and you're basically ending up with subtitles, when you're doing a keyword search, you're going to get an awful lot of results back, of which an awful lot won't be particularly relevant. The idea behind this, and, and this is where it's, it's going to be difficult to, to strike a balance and will take some experimentation with um, the testers and, and once it's released, is it's got to strike the balance between um, you being able to find enough information and jump to the right points in your video and having so many points marks and so many keywords and, and, and results showing up from searches that actually the whole thing becomes meaningless. Yeah, I think this is going to be a, an interesting um, 
thing going forward for you because basically there are two types of people you're looking to track. There's, there's the end users of Avtag, the ones who want to just, you know, ah, oh, that's Uncle Graham, Uncle Uncle Joe, whatever, and, and put it on there. Uh, the whole WWDC thing, I mean, um, yeah, okay, let's look at iDeveloper TV. It would be great if when we divided our videos, we could provide um, a whole bunch of tags on certain things. However, if when you, as soon as you load Avtag, we've put so many in there to be complete that actually all you've got is a screen full of tags that don't, you know, mean anything or, or can't do it. So, you know, learning how to break stuff down to be useful or, or what level do you want it at? Um, and, and that's as a content producer, a challenge to, to, to know what to do. I mean, uh, you know, tagging and then transcribing the video for indexing might be even slightly different things. Uh, you know, so it's an interesting market, yes, which you say, which as a consumers, we don't really have any access to at the moment, um, or not that I know of. Um, and it's, you know, we, maybe we've got to learn how to do it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there are almost two levels to this. There is sort of the direct and, and literal um, searching where, for example, um, um, you are searching for every word. So, so if you've got a, a transcription of a video, you can then search for any word in that video. Um, and then there's the other side of it where if you're looking at a WWDC video, for example, and a slide's up on screen, and it relates to a particular um, um, method that you think you're going to want to refer to, or it's got something of particular interest to you, and you can just put in a tag and then put in a title for that tag that means something to you. So when you're searching, you're going to see that result again. It's allowing you to jump back to that point. It's not necessarily um, data mining in terms of finding every occurrence of every word every time somebody says Apple um, in a keynote video, because you're going to end up with almost meaningless number of results. This is much more about finding the important bits that are going to help people as a developer from my aspect from, from my point of view of it this is the way i will use it now it's been very interesting because talking to people who aren't developers about it has uncovered all sorts of other use cases for it and ways they'd like to use in situations i'd like to use it in and i think as a product it's going to evolve and it's going to change um it's fairly unknown as far as i can tell i've found a few applications um for things like audio books and, and, and audio only um solutions where you can go in you can add your own sort of bookmarks to it i haven't yet really found anything that does it on the video side or at least not sort of on the mac or, or on ios in a, in a usable way so it's it's just almost a, a new market it's something for for the consumer side that is untested and as scotty said there is going to be a lot of experimentation both on the sides of the the content producers and i think also on the end users um so i'm expecting it to to evolve as a product um it's going to be very interesting for me to see how my original idea for the application changes over time because I'm absolutely sure it will. It'll be interesting to see what people think of the concept and, and how it's used. Um, and it may be that eventually it does evolve into something where literally you are getting a video fully transcribed and it's for people to find specific keywords like that. Um, we'll see how it goes. Um, and, and part of the problem with having the, the concept of the Avtag Diaries has been obviously up until now, I haven't wanted to speak too much about it or, or explain what it does because um, I haven't been close enough to, to having the application written for me to safely do it and feel comfortable talking about it. I'm at that point now, so I'm hoping over the next um, um, few weeks, maybe next couple of months, there'll be more Avtag Diaries with more discussion about it and more feedback from people. I'm, I'm certainly open to hearing ideas from people and suggestions from people um, and, and getting more and more feedback from people about what they think of the idea, um, how they might use something like this and, and almost what direction they think it should take, whether it should be something where you 
have a transcript of everything that's said or whether it's something where you go through and, and you mark the interesting or important points yourself and can put in your own keywords. I think it's going to be interesting watching. You heard it here first. There will be more Avtag Diaries. I think I've heard that somewhere before, but there we go. I think we're going to draw this to an end. We've run over our time uh, again. Um, hopefully, people have found uh, this has just been a very loose discussion today. Uh, admittedly, very little tech content today, but you know, the idea I've just come from my people. The idea of Developer Live is we're a, a magazine show for developers. I want to cover business. I want to cover general topics. I don't want to just hammer out the tech, tech, tech. As much as we do try to keep that in there as well, um, you know, it's got to be in a balance. So. Um, yeah, I accept not every show is going to be for every person. Um, but, you know, I've enjoyed chatting with these guys today. Hopefully you've enjoyed um, uh, uh, listening to us waffle on. <laughs> um, uh, thank you, Chatroom, for coming in. So, so Simon, you, you were looking for beta testers um, or beta testers, just so that both sides of the Atlantic understand what I just said. Uh, <laughs> how do people get in touch with you? Okay, um, you can find me on Twitter, where I am, S-G-A-W. Um, you can find me on AppNet where I am just SW. Um, my main website, my business website, is ottersoftware.com, um, and there's a, a contact uh, section on that. Um, and finally, my new home for, for my blog um, and my various random writings is swritings.com. Yeah, John, just after you recommended his blog last week, he moved it. Yeah, what sort of guy is that, eh? Just to make sure, just to make sure the, you know, the millions of people, because we know all know that a John Fox recommendation is pretty close to being fireballed. Um, <laughs> yeah, he just decided it might not be able to cope, and so... I was so, just playing hard to get. So he moved it. Yeah, oh dear, there, some people are always deluded. Um, okay. Um, this is uh, uh, when I developed a live 63 I haven't forgotten you John I am coming back we would love your comments um, maybe after a show with no very little tech content that's the wrong side oh no this is who we are this is who we are if you enjoy us great please listen to us be great if you went to iTunes and uh, just give a, a general comment um, about the show uh, rate the show it helps other people find us in iTunes if you rate it um, you know, and uh, we, I do read every comment that's put there. So if you've got a specific request for the podcast or, or anything like that, just send a, a, an email to um, podcast at ideveloper.tv and that'll end up in the support system and we'll, you know, get back to you as soon as we can. Uh, but please just go and, you know, um, either contact us through the support or go rate us and comment because it really does help and it, it encourages us to just see that someone could be bothered to go do that. So, um, Love it if you went and do that. You know, the entire show has 41 comments at the moment of, of, of the however many years we've been going and thousands of listeners, 41 people. We thank those 41. You are very special to us. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, John, tell people who you are, where they can find you and all that sort of stuff. Well, you can find out all about my product, Memory Miner, at memoryminer.com. If you go to memoryminer.com slash blog, you can see many blog posts over the years. You can find me on Twitter as Jembe, D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Okay. Oh, uh, and I'm on AppNet as well. Sorry. AppNet, yeah, it's Jembe. Jembe as well. Um, yep. Yeah, just a couple of announcements before I sign off. Um, people have been asking what's happened to the iDeveloper TV blog that we were advertising we were going to do with writers. It is all still going, but it's over the summer. Designers are you know, do things like go on holiday, which I think is really unreasonable. Um, our editors have sort of been away as well. And so it's all it, sometime in the fall, it will all get launched out there. And, and all these technical articles we've been promising will begin to arrive. Honestly, we want to launch it properly and get it right. So, um, that's, that's good. Um, oh, lots of people were asking, um, shortly after we released the, uh, 
and his conference videos back, um, oh, I don't know how long ago it was now, uh, whether they could get hold of any of them individually. Well, we've decided to release one individually. So on Friday, we stuck out Daniel Pascoe's um, uh, coordinator in iCloud talks. We've had a lot of requests for that. So if that's you've not bought I, uh, the Ennis conference um, videos, but you did fancy that talk, that's uh, Daniel Pascoe. Excellent. I mean, he mainly covers lot, lots of the edge cases and the problems uh, of working on it. That's uh, just on the iDeveloper um, .tv website now, so just go in, buy it, and yeah, watch it, I guess. That's what you do when you buy it. Okay, <laughs> I am Scotty. You can follow me on Twitter as MacDevNet. You can follow me on um, app.net as Scotty, because I got hold of Scotty when I eventually be, be in there early. Um, iDeveloper.tv, that's where we live on the web. iDeveloper.tv on Twitter. We're not on AppNet. Maybe I should get that one as well. Anyway, there. This, is, um, this has been iDeveloper Live episode, I think it's 63. I hope it's 63, because that's what I've been saying throughout the whole darn show. Um, well, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, chat room. We love you. We love the effort you make to turn up and uh, speak to us every single week. And until next time, you all take care. Thank you.